Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Before we start the show, an advisory. Not for swearing, but for a small change in audio quality. Jim is coming to us from a different location than he usually does. You might notice that. Now let's jump in. Richard, it's our year-end special, our sixth annual show. This one's different, Jim. Instead of our usual best-of compilation from the year gone by, some ideas from both of us, you and I, about news stories that we've not spent enough time talking about or reading. Underreported stories in 2021. We share some of our thoughts, gripes, and observations. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How, how do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? So we have... A lot to talk about. Uh, my thoughts on underreported stories, I guess, come under three broad headings of the middle, the future, and the far away. Uh, I'll explain more later. Uh, speaking of the far away, I received an email the other day from a listener in Melbourne, Australia, James Woollett, who had this to say about last week's episode, which we did on ranked choice voting. I'm always perplexed as to why Americans do not look beyond their own shores when discussing an issue. Australians do the opposite to a fault, he says. It's as if we cannot believe we do some things quite well and have to compare ourselves with people and systems overseas all the time. So I'll have some more thoughts in a moment. But Jim, what, what are you going to be talking about? Well, as you know, one of my big concerns is how the media and amplified by social media has just made us more reactive. You know, we respond to what's in front of us in the moment and then we seem to forget about it two days later. So I want to talk about some big stories that didn't get enough attention over the last year and some undercovered topics that I think will have a big influence on our future. And I'll be touching on some positive things coming out of the COVID era, as well as the boom in private space flight and the sorry state of journalism today. Can't wait to get into it. Let's start with uh, one of my topics, the far away. And adding to what James in Australia said, our media coverage largely assumes that we're only interested in America uh, and the human costs of chaotic migration, uh, things like world hunger and uh, the plight of 
Afghans after America chaotically withdrew earlier this year. Those are all things that deserve a lot more coverage. Also, this idea that we can learn from others, from from systems, from people overseas. Yeah, you know, that tendency not to really focus on what's going on overseas has gotten a lot worse over the decades. If you go back and look at the New York Times and, you know, the 70s or the 80s, a lot more coverage and the, you know, evening newscasts and whatnot. There was a lot more coverage of of foreign affairs than than there is today. And I think part of that is linked to the fact that we tend to look at things through even more of a partisan political lens. So if if we do touch on a story uh, involving, you know, overseas, it usually comes down to what does this mean for the White House or what does this mean for Congress? It's it's framed in those terms rather than what's actually going on there and why does it matter? The coverage of Afghanistan was mostly about the U.S. troop withdrawal. But since then, we've heard far too little about the severe threat of famine with the collapse of foreign aid and Afghan government sources, many people could starve to death. The warnings in recent months have been stark, and while reported overseas, there's been very little coverage in the U.S. media. One example is a recent report by International Rescue Committee, which said that millions of people in Afghanistan could run out of food during the winter. Yeah, it's really heartbreaking what's going on there. And the options that we have for coping with it are so limited. You know, are we just going to wind up sending pallets of food to the Taliban, further enhance their their power in the country? And what's really alarming is that the story of starvation and food shortages is not limited to Afghanistan. No, it's likely that world hunger will get worse in the warmest countries, largely because of climate change. In that case, Jim, there are some options. Uh, We need to invest more in climate-smart innovations, including gains from artificial intelligence and robotics technologies. There was a wonderful article recently by Amanda Little in Bloomberg News, someone who actually had really like to interview on our podcast next year. She wrote that farmers in Guatemala are coming up with climate-resistant coffee crops, that food scientists in Florida are breeding citrus trees that can endure blights. Farmers in California are working to develop wine grapes and tomato plants that can tolerate heat shock. So while there may be a great shortage of food to come uh, with a warmer world, perhaps innovation and science will get us out of it. And one of the weird things about climate change is while it makes agriculture harder in some parts of the world, it make it easier in other parts. So we don't really know what the net effect is likely to be. But, you know, it's not all doom and gloom here on how do we fix it. So I wanted to talk about a couple of stories on the positive side that also are not getting enough attention. And first among these over the past year is these amazing vaccines, just the stunning effectiveness of our mRNA vaccines against COVID, yes, including against the the variants, the rollout much criticized under Trump and under Biden. But, you know, the fact is that overall, we've uh, vaccinated Almost 100% of people over 65 in the U.S. have at least one dose of the vaccine. Around the world, 
4.5 billion people have been vaccinated over the past 12 months. That is really extraordinary, unprecedented. It's not enough. And I think the U.S. should do more to help disadvantaged countries around the world. Vaccine diplomacy is, to me, a great way to, to use our vast resources. But it is really phenomenal. And, and I think it is something that we need to take a minute just to say, wow, you know, thank you, science. <laughs> That's such a great point you make about how we've taken for granted the astonishing advances in medicine and science, even just in the past year or so with the vaccines. And then when we do cover the fact that, that a lot of people overseas and in poorer countries have not received vaccines, I was astonished when I did some research for this podcast to find out that more than half the people around the world have received a vaccine. Th that does need to be celebrated, as well as uh, the, the failure to perhaps do an even better job should be criticized. We've done a number of podcasts on this topic of why people have such a hard time accepting good news. And a lot of times I think it's because the media is afraid if we, if we mention some good news, then people will stop trying to fight for further change. So we have to constantly emphasize the bad in order to motivate people to try to keep improving. I think if you can emphasize the good, sometimes that shows people these problems can be solved. Let's work harder at it. I, I think that's a more empowering message. Another example of this, Jim, and I think they'll become much more obvious in the years to come, are the hidden upsides of the COVID era. Overall, it's been terrible, and the damage has fallen most heavily on the poor people in marginalized communities. There's no question about that. But there are positive things that, that have happened in addition to the, um, the vaccines. Just the breakthrough work on this mRNA technique means that now they're promising vaccines for malaria. That could save millions of lives around the world. There's progress on a vaccine for Lyme disease and many other treatments for cancer and other things. Progress had been made, but we hadn't really shown that this mRNA technique can work until the COVID vaccine. So that's a huge breakthrough. And another breakthrough is how we're thinking about remote work as the coronavirus pandemic drags on. It really appears like the impact on the workplace, not not all negative by any means, is going to be greater than we, we thought was possible even last year. The ability of our tech, our digital tech infrastructure to cope with all the changes of the pandemic doesn't get enough credit. You know, almost overnight, office workers all went home and yet the, the networks held up, Zoom, you know, within a few weeks, the amount of traffic they were handling went up by several orders of magnitude. It was just a dramatic shift. We all got used to doing a lot of different things remotely, including how we do this podcast. People can do certain kinds of work from other locations. That's good for families, you know, giving people more options about how they spend time with their kids. It's good for our carbon emissions. And ultimately, it might even be good for companies to allow a more um, range of, of options for the people they hire. They can improve their workforce. And that leads to a potential gain for both companies and employees when it comes to how they work together, collaboration. This was something we, we spoke about with Deb Mashak 
in a podcast that we did this year. Another positive story that I know is important to you, Jim, is the private space flight boom. Tell us more. Yeah, we talked to Eric Berger in episode 294 about SpaceX. He has a great book about the early, really entrepreneurial, but I mean, they were a scrappy startup that was not super funded. Musk was not so rich at that time. And they took huge gambles to prove that a private company could make space a business. Oh my gosh. If you look today at what is happening, the rate of launches from SpaceX for NASA, for their communication satellites and other projects is just staggering. The cost of spaceflight is coming down dramatically. Why is this important? Well, there are going to be so many benefits from space for the general public. Just to take one, you have SpaceX's fleet of Starlink satellites. Uh, they've launched about 1,900 so far. These allow anyone anywhere pretty much to get broadband without a ground-based connection. I think that is just a fantastic benefit for people in rural areas, but really ultimately for everybody Longer range, we're going to see space flight bringing down the, the cost of certain kinds of materials as we develop the ability to mine asteroids. It could have huge benefits in energy, even in certain types of manufacturing, and also just in the terms of hu the human need to explore and get out and see our universe. You're listening to How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. burrowcom slash ACAST. We've been pretty positive so far, Jim. Let's move a bit more to the negative side of things, especially when it comes to the future. Right now, America is conducting a well-intentioned yet massive experiment with a huge expansion of public debt. And I don't think the costs are being taken very seriously um, in the media and by our leading politicians. Uh, one statistic that just jumps out at me is that the Peterson Foundation says America's national debt is 29 trillion, that's a trillion with a T, dollars. That's more than $220,000 per household. And if interest rates rise, and it sure looks like they will, um, it'll become a lot more expensive to, to service government debt. So instead of spending money on programs, we're going to be spending money on interest rates. And well, 
why can't we just tax those rich people? Elizabeth Warren says that Elon Musk doesn't pay any taxes. Well, I actually do think that people should be taxed more if we want more government programs, which which I favor. But we need to have a, a mature discussion about the costs of the programs that that many of us want. I, I raised that Elon Musk thing because there's this widespread conception that rich people don't pay any taxes. And if we just tax them, we could do all this stuff without any of it falling on the middle class. When in fact, you know, countries in, in Europe that have the kind of bigger social welfare state that a lot of progressives want, they tax their middle class pretty hard. So, you know, it's not as easy to uh, to flip that switch and pay for all these wonderful things as uh, as some people would like us to believe. Another thing that's not easy to fix is the state of our media. There's always a lot of coverage about clashes, contests, and celebrities without nearly enough focus on solutions. Media bias is something we hear about frequently. Instead, there ought to be more coverage of innovation in its many different forms. Yeah, in this case, the story is the media itself. And the collapse in trustworthiness of our major media outlets. You know, people talk a lot about trust in media as if it's a failure on the part of the public. But to be trusted, you have to be trustworthy. And the media has really dramatically declined in that metric in the, over the last couple of years in ways that are very discouraging to me. Um, one that we've covered on this show is the complete suppression of the story about the possibility that COVID was a result of a lab leak. We did two episodes with virology researcher Alina Chan on that, episodes 329 and 330. It was almost an across-the-board effort to avoid this story, primarily for kind of political reasons, you know. We shouldn't be looking at stories saying, well, if it helps the other side. If it helps Republicans, then we shouldn't run the story. And if it helps Democrats, we will run the story. But sadly, way too much of our media coverage falls into that that framework. Too often, media coverage is in stark political terms, as you say. Uh, there's a widespread inability to keep two conflicting ideas in our heads at the same time. Uh, we mentioned briefly climate change. Uh, an example of how I think this issue is not being addressed in a way it should be it, are these two clashing demands, Jim, the, the, the soaring demand for energy at the same time as there is a, a growth in the demand for, to do something about cutting carbon emissions. I mean, those are potentially big clashes, yet the difficulty of that, the complexity of that is very poorly covered and, and and as a result is not widely understood. In fact, I think the media is is complicit uh, with some policy experts in, in feeding the public a false narrative that we're just going to be able to ship to wind and solar in 15 years and all our problems will be solved. 80%, 80% of all global energy produced is now from hydrocarbons, oil, natural gas, and coal. It's going to take a revolution to switch to carbon-free energy. Perhaps we'll, we'll need anything we've got to do this. But they frame these things in moral terms rather than practical or engineering terms. It's, you know, that we have climate change because fossil fuel companies are bad as opposed to 
we have climate change because we're emitting too much carbon and all of us, all of us consumers are part of that, that problem. And the solutions are hard and they're going to be expensive. You know, we've talked a fair bit in this episode about progress, which is defined by trial and error, isn't it? I mean, I think that so often it, it, progress is halting and then all of a sudden there's a very rapid advance like there was, thank goodness, in the case of vaccines, but it doesn't all come quickly. It took many years, for instance, for, for solar panels to be something that could be manufactured at a reasonably rapid rate and, and, and cheaply so that they could compete with other forms of energy. Richard, there's one other topic that you and I often come back to, and it's this kind of bias towards negativity in our media and failure to celebrate acts of kindness and and stories that break that mold of of everything being a problem. And I know you're a, a big advocate for for making sure that our journalism includes those kinds of, of pieces. Well, it's and it's hard, too, for journalists because the good often happens slowly and quietly, and, and that's the same with progress. And yet the bad often comes in headline-grabbing catastrophes. So let's talk about where we get our... Our ideas. I mean, if we think a story is undercover, well, where did we hear about it? What are some of your favorites? Well, the the, the usual suspects are uh, the Economist and the Wall Street Journal and and the reporting in the New York Times, but also a couple of other ones that that perhaps people aren't quite as uh, familiar with. Uh, there's a, a very good newsletter put out every day called the G Zero newsletter that focuses largely on international affairs, and it's it's a one pager, but it it is excellent. And and then the other one is uh, the work of the Migration Policy Institute, who uh, cover fairly and very well uh, the vast movements of people around the world. And that's not just into the US, but, but inside uh, countries, internal migration. You know, I get all the usual sources, uh, but I like to kind of drill down on, um, on some alternate sources of information. One I like a lot is the Breakthrough Institute, whose founder, Ted Nordhaus, we've had on How Do We Fix It? They focus on climate and energy from an eco-modernist perspective, which is really suits me. It's very pragmatic, and it looks at how we can use the technology we have to, to solve these problems. Another one, this might be a little self-serving because I write for them, but City Journal does a great job of wrestling with a lot of topics, especially ones related to urban life from a moderate conservative or free market perspective, but they're hardly doctrinaire. And they're big advocates for things like fixing mass transit and uh, various other things that I think a lot, many of our liberal listeners would find um, actually quite reasonable and, and, and solid. In a recent past show, Jim, you've recommended Substack and the writing of Andrew Sullivan and several other journalists who left mainstream media and joined Substack. There's also social media. Um, Twitter comes in for a ton of criticism, but both of us are on it. I use Twitter multiple times a day. I still find it extremely useful. But the key is who you follow. Absolutely. You know, I don't follow, yeah, I yeah. don't follow celebrities. I follow journalists covering stuff that I'm interested in. I follow climate scientists. I, I follow people in the nuclear field. I follow I you, follow, Jim. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, this is how I, I discovered Alina Chan early in the pandemic, who uh, we interviewed just a couple of weeks ago. She was doing some of the most interesting, provocative coverage on on COVID, asking questions that were not being asked in the media. And th- th- in every field, there are people like that. So that's our recommendation. Broaden your sources of information. Um, I thought it'd be interesting to discuss where our beliefs came from. Um, Most of us, I think, don't stray very far from our roots as children. Uh, We usually root for the same sports teams as we did when we were children. Uh, My lifelong love of baseball and the New York Mets is very hard to explain, uh, except that that was the team I liked when I was a kid. And, And kind of the same thing with politics. I mean, I lean moderately liberal, uh, partially because my mom ran for parliament in England as a liberal, then and now uh, that is the perennial third party in English politics, left of conservatives and right of socialists. Uh, my dad, on the other hand, grew up as an electrical engineer and prized rationality and logic over emotion. And so in some ways, my ideas, my kind of partisan side is the result of my parents. How about you? My father, as listeners have often heard, was a University of Chicago trained monetarist economist, very much in the mold of Milton Friedman, who was his great mentor and friend. So we debated that stuff around the, the, the dining room table as a kid. And my mother was a, a, a widely read um, uh, woman who, you know, whatever the latest book on was out about history or anthropology or all kinds of subjects. She not only read it, but she would talk to us. You know, we would be 12 years old and she would be talking to us about, you know, Desmond Morris's book, The Naked Ape, or one of these books of the day that were raising interesting ideas. So I always had an interest in in ideas and interest in debate. I'm the only boy in a family with, with four girls. There was a lot of arguing around the dinner table <laughs> and in a, often in a really, in a, in a high energy fun way. I've always been comfortable with argument. That explains a lot, Jim. <laughs> Before we wrap up, um, we asked our producer, Miranda Schaefer, who edits our shows uh, week by week and probably has a better knowledge of what we put out than anyone else. I asked Miranda to share her favorite moment from How Do We Fix It during 2021, and she picked Sandra Goldmark. Uh, we spoke with her on episode 313 called Fix More, Waste Less, The Right to Repair. As the former editor of Poppin' Mechanics, this topic is a, is a favorite of mine. And Sandra is a leader in the demand for making the things we own more repairable, things that we can keep longer, not throw out so fast. Here's the soundbite that Miranda picked. It's Sandra Goldmark talking about being a new mom and being overwhelmed with stuff and how that led her to start her pop-up repair store. I had two small children. And as you know, when you have a child, all of a sudden there's like a sort of blood transfusion of objects into your home at a great rate. Um, And I was working in theater. I was a set designer and I felt like I was buying and making so much stuff and watching it go in the landfill I felt this cognitive dissonance between the way I was actually living and the way I, I wanted to live. And I knew the impact of 
of this way of living. And it's not like we were crazy hoarders. It was just like your basic average household. But there was too much stuff and I was making so much at work and I knew that it wasn't right. So I sort of had this pause and I thought, what, what can I do? Should I quit my job? And through a series, I was home on maternity leave. So I had a little, a little breathing room to think about it weirdly in the middle of the night. And finally, the colleague was my husband. And I said, well, let's, um, let's write a letter to Walmart. Let's send Walmart a letter and convince them that they should open a repair shop in the corner of every Walmart and that people will go to it and they'll, you know, they'll bring their broken vacuums and their broken lamps and, and it'll be great because everybody's frustrated with all this clutter and there's nowhere to get anything fixed. And Michael thought he was so sweet, but he was like, you know, I don't know if Walmart's going to open your letter. <laughs> so I backed off the Walmart letter a little bit and we, we hired a bunch of friends from theater and we opened that first repair shop. That's Sandra Goldmark, a pick from... Miranda Schaefer, our producer. Thanks, Miranda, for all the great work you've done this year. And while we're doing thanks, Richard, thanks to you for, first of all, the, having the idea for this podcast all those many years ago. It's been such a fun ride being part of this podcast revolution. You know, we spent a lot of time griping about the media, but one thing to celebrate is this diversity of new channels that people are are accessing to learn more, to get different perspectives. And it's fun for me, and I think hopefully important for our listeners, that we have a podcast that's specifically geared not to just one kind of divergent perspective, but collecting fresh ideas, ideas that are a little out of the mainstream from as many thinkers across the spectrum as possible. And you and I don't have to agree on everything, but I do think we both <laughs> agree that this heterodoxy, this diversity of opinion is vital both in our individual lives and in our society. So well said. That's our show for today and for this year, for 2021. I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And things can only look up in 2022. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.